This episode features discussions of suicide, self-harm, and harm to animals. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about Asmodeus. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories, including the Talmud and the Biblical Apocrypha for dramatic effect. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Last month we explored the land of the Fae in our season on famous fairies, but this month join me on a different journey as we travel from the tops of the heavens to the depths of hell in our new season on Biblical Beasts. Each week we'll delve into the ancient texts of Judeo-Christian beliefs and unearth another unholy terror. From shape-shifting demons to multi-headed leopards, we'll discuss the origins of the Bible's most terrifying creatures. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we meet Asmodeus, king of demons, who is thought to be the cause of some of humanity's most dangerous traits, greed, lust, and wrath. Coming up, the king of demons pursues his beloved. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Demons and magic don't play a major role in the official Christian Bible, but that wasn't always the case. Tales of enslaved demons and spells were quite popular in the Apocrypha, works that didn't make the cut for the mainstream religion we know today. One of these texts, the Book of Tobit, chronicles a fearsome and powerful demon named Asmodeus. His legend goes back 3,000 years to ancient Iran. There, the name Asmodeus is thought to originate from Avestan, the language used to write the sacred book of Zoroastrianism. Specifically, scholars have traced Asmodeus back to the Avestan phrase, Asmadeva, which roughly translates to demon of wrath. Legend has it that he held a high position in the underworld and was often described as the king or prince of demons. 
Born of an unholy union between a demon and a human woman, Asmodeus was a shapeshifter, able to materialize out of thin air and take on any human's appearance. But in his true form, his demon's wings were said to stretch from the earth all the way to the heavens. However, regardless of what shape he took, at least one foot always had the gnarled talons of a rooster. Despite his domain over rage and wrath, Asmodeus was hyper-focused on one thing, ruining marriages. The king of demons was a homewrecker. In the Testament of Solomon, Asmodeus tells King Solomon, my business is to plot against the newly wedded. And God forbid you become the object of his lust, because once Asmodeus' obsession begins, only heaven's strongest magic can defeat him. Asmodeus pushed with all his might. His cart overflowed with cedar tree trunks, and he hated that he'd found himself in this position. In the bottom of a pit in the middle of the desert, shackled in chains like a common criminal. This was not work fit for the king of demons. It wasn't being trapped in his human form that bothered him. He quite liked the mortal body. No, it was King Solomon that he hated. He had made Asmodeus a slave to build his gaudy new temple. But more than anything, he hated Solomon for keeping him from his true love. Asmodeus glared up at his captor. Solomon walked down the ramp toward the base of his temple. He waved his hand for the work to stop. Asmodeus obeyed, not because he wanted to, but because Solomon's magic ring gave him no choice. Solomon stared down at Asmodeus's bony, chicken-like feet. They were the only part of him that never fully transformed. Solomon shook his head. I do not understand your appeal, and I am the wisest of all men. Tell me, Asmodeus, king of demons, how is it that a despicable, hateful creature like you holds sway over mankind? Asmodeus felt the fire rise inside his belly, but he stifled his anger and curled his lips into a smile. My king, I can show you, but I cannot do it as long as you're wearing that ring. King Solomon chuckled. Do you take me for a fool, Asmodeus? This ring is the only thing that's keeping you demons under my command. Asmodeus smirked. If a piece of jewelry is the limit of your powers, then perhaps you can't handle true knowledge of the underworld. Solomon's smile faded. Then he waved his hand dismissively. Fine, he said. He would take off his ring, but Asmodeus only had until the count of five to prove why he should fear him. The demon smiled. That was more than enough time. Solomon slid the golden ring off his finger and began his count. As soon as Solomon removed his ring, Asmodeus felt a rush of power. The dunes shrank beneath him as he grew to 
tower over the king, his head stretched into the heavens, and black, leathery wings burst through his back and blotted out the sun, as Medeus glared down at the terrified Solomon. He reached down and snatched the tiny king off the ground with a flick of his leathery finger as Medea sent Solomon's magic ring hundreds of miles away and watched as it sank into the bottom of the sea. He then dangled Solomon in front of him, laughed, and tossed him into his mouth. He held him inside his jaw for a moment, just to give him one last scare, then spit him out. The little king sailed through the air and landed in a dune, far from the sea and his all-powerful ring. As Medeus was free now, and nothing was going to stand between him and the object of his obsession, Sarah. As Medea stood in the dark corner of a luxurious, fire-lit bedroom, watching flies buzz over a marital bed, he always liked flies. They were solely focused on their own advancement, and they relished death. Such noble creatures. He had returned to human size, but kept his handsome demonic image. He stretched his wings out from one wall to another, soaking in the warmth of the hearth. It wasn't the blazing pits of hell, but it would have to do. As Medeus took in a deep breath, the room smelled just like Sarah, just as it did months ago, before he was stolen away by Solomon and his cursed ring. He missed this place. Her father's compound was lavish. The old man spoiled Sarah, and as Medeus planned to spoil her too, as long as no one got in his way. During his time under King Solomon's control, he'd worried that his beloved had found another new suitor. He couldn't have that. Sarah's warmth, wit, and heavenly beauty would not be wasted on a mere mortal. He heard gentle footsteps approach. As Medeus grinned, he couldn't wait to see the look on her face when she saw him. She'd be thrilled. He could hear Sarah's velvety soft voice ask, My love, are you ready for me? Then she pushed open the door and screamed. The wine jug in her hands tumbled to the floor, shattering to pieces. Hello, my darling. As Medeus purred from the shadows, Sarah didn't respond. She just kept screaming, her eyes fixed to the bed and the swarm of flies, as Medeus followed her gaze and winced. In his joy over Sarah's arrival, he'd forgotten that she might be bothered by the sight of her new husband's corpse. It was supposed to be her wedding night, and yes, the man's neck was a hideous mess of purple-black bruises from where Asmodeus had choked the life from him. But he didn't understand why Sarah was being so emotional. She should have expected this. After all, he'd murdered six of her would-be suitors so far. And Asmodeus wouldn't stop killing until Sarah married him.
Coming up, Asmodeus's romance is interrupted by a heavenly intervention. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast Network. The Vatican is one of the most recognizable religious sites in the world, but it's also a powerful institution. Its unique history full of secrecy. This Easter, my show Conspiracy Theories looks deep into the church's past to uncover how it became what it is today. Starting April 5th, our new four-part miniseries, Mysteries of the Vatican, dives in to examine some of the most prominent conspiracy theories surrounding this mysterious organization. From the church's sordid rise to power, to prophetic visions, and even assassination attempts. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories, to hear Mysteries of the Vatican. New episodes air every Monday and Wednesday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Asmodeus smiled at his beloved Sarah, but she couldn't take her eyes off her new husband's dead body slumped over their marital bed. Asmodeus growled. Looks like I made it under the wire once again. How many times do I have to tell you, Sarah? No one can love you but me. She turned to him, tears streaming from her eyes, her body trembling with rage. You're a monster, she told him. Asmodeus shook his head. My love, I will stop killing these men when you stop marrying them. Their blood is on your hands, for you are mine. Sarah choked back her tears and nodded. Every other time she found a new dead husband, she'd fled or fought. But not tonight. Tonight, she seemed to concede. As Medea smiled, Finally! We'll be so happy together. I know your father wants an heir. I can provide that. My mother was human after all. You'll see. My love will burn through everything that my wrath hasn't destroyed. Sarah wiped her tears away. You're right. I'm yours until death. As Medea stepped toward her, expecting an embrace, but Sarah darted down, snatched up a piece of the shattered wine jug, and pressed the jagged end to her neck. Asmodeus froze in fear and asked what she was doing. Sarah pressed the shard deeper. A trickle of blood rolled down her neck as her brown eyes locked onto his red ones. Her voice was firm. You'll stop when I'm dead, so I choose death. The demon's eyes went wide. This isn't how our love story is supposed to end. As Medeus's voice trailed off as he sniffed the air, it was a familiar smell, like a summer bouquet. He hated that scent. It could only mean one thing, Raphael. Sarah gasped, for a new being appeared in a ray of light. He was an unimposing figure, short, plump, and bald, but he was Asmodeus's nemesis nonetheless, the archangel Raphael. Asmodeus sneered in disgust. What are you doing here? 
Raphael ignored him and looked to Sarah instead. Do not take your own life. There is still hope for you yet, as there is a man that this beast cannot kill, and soon he will come for you. Sarah smiled at the angel in relief and dropped the shard to the ground, and then, without even a glance at Asmodeus, she ran out of the room. The demon sighed. He was upset that his beloved could be so thoughtless, but he couldn't let Raphael see it. So then he cackled. You fool! I will not be stopped. The whole kingdom thinks Sarah's cursed. What kind of idiot would be stupid enough to woo her now? Tobiah could hear his father Tobit screaming again. Kill me, you stupid boy! Be a merciful son and put me out of my misery! The young man wiped his brow, sweltering in their crumbling hut in the town of Nineveh. He felt like a fool. He should have joined the king's army or settled down with a nice girl like the other boys. But he couldn't abandon his father. After the old man lost his wife and supposedly misplaced his fortune, Tobiah was the only person his blind, half-senile father had. He shuffled into his father's room, scooped water from a basin, and carefully held it to Tobit's mouth. His father sipped the water and pleaded, God has taken away my sight. He's taken away my wealth. Why can't he just take me? Tobiah shook his head. Your money isn't gone. You just don't know where it is. You'll remember, we've been through so much, something good has to happen. Suddenly, the earth shook beneath his feet, and otherworldly light filled the room. Tobit grabbed his son's arm and asked what it was, but Tobiah was speechless. The light died, and in its place was a stout, white-robed man with a shiny, bald head. He smiled. I am Raphael. My apologies for dropping in so abruptly. I'm afraid I'm in a hurry. The angel then turned to the dumbstruck young man. Tobiah, I am here to send you on a quest. You will find your father's fortune in Escabatana with your wife, Sarah. Tobiah ran a hand through his shaggy hair, bewildered. What? I can't leave him like this. He's blind. And who is Sarah? Tobit shouted at the mention of Sarah's name and clapped his hands together. Sarah, that's it! I left my money with Sarah's wealthy father, Raguel of Escabatana, as a dowry. I promised him years ago that you would marry her. Tobiah felt dizzy. Not only did he have a divine quest, but a betrothed. It was everything a young man should want. But what if he wasn't ready? It was like Raphael could read his mind. The angel glided toward Tobiah, his stubby feet hovering above the floor. Every treasure must be earned. Go to Escabatana to find your wife and secure your father's riches. Your pure heart burns with righteousness that will defeat the great evil. Panic coursed through Tobiah's body. Great evil? Hang on, what great evil? 
But the heavenly light flashed again, and Raphael was gone. Tobias stared at the place where the angel had been. Then he felt his father tug on his robe. Your friend is right. You must marry Sarah. It's the only way I can provide for you. Tobiah wanted to stay, but the prospect of money was tempting, so he filled his pack, grabbed a knife, and headed out into the desert. Tobiah trekked through the sand for days. He wasn't sure how far Escabatana was. He had never left Nineveh before, and Raphael hadn't exactly given him a map. He began to doubt whether the angel was even real. Maybe he'd lost his mind. The desert stretched for hundreds of miles in every direction. The sand scorched his feet, and he was running low on water. Tobiah was almost to the top of yet another steep dune when he heard a rumble in the distance. His heart beat faster. He prayed it wasn't a sandstorm. But as he reached the dune's peak, Tobiah gasped. It wasn't a storm. It was a great river. And on the other side were the walls of a wealthy city, Escabatana. Tobiah took off in a sprint down the dune. He couldn't wait to quench his thirst. But just before he could wade into the river, he stopped. A crocodile peered out from the water at Tobiah. Raphael's voice echoed from behind him. Go forth, Tobiah. You must kill the crocodile if you want your bride and your father's fortune. The young man took a deep breath, weighing his options. But this crocodile wasn't a fan of hemming and hawing. While Tobiah had his back turned, the beast lunged out of the water, sank its jaws into his leg, and dragged him into the rushing water. Tobiah sank beneath the river's surface as Asmodeus's laugh echoed in the air. Coming up, Tobiah fights a beast and faces Asmodeus. Now back to the story. Tobiah thrashed under the water's surface. Every move sent pain searing through his body from the place where his leg was caught in a crocodile's jaws. It was all the angel Raphael's fault. He was the one who'd sent Tobiah from Nineveh to the city of Escabatana. There he was supposed to retrieve his ailing father's fortune, find a bride named Sarah, and possibly defeat some sort of evil. But Raphael was gone, and the crocodile was about to rip his leg off. He had to act now. Tobiah reached for the knife tucked into his belt, then jabbed it into the only break in the crocodile's armor-like skin, his cold black eye. Blood gushed from the socket, and the beast's jaws unclenched from Tobiah's leg. Tobiah flailed, desperately swimming to the water's surface, then dragged himself onto the riverbank. He was safe at last, or so he thought. 
The crocodile lunged out of the water onto the shore, Tobiah's knife sticking out of its head like a horn. Tobiah screamed as the beast scrambled up to him, but it lurched to a stop and died inches from his feet. Tobiah collapsed, gasping for breath. The pain in his leg was excruciating, but he was thankful to be alive. He closed his eyes and prayed for rest. At sunset, Tobiah awoke to someone touching his injured leg. He jerked his head up and sighed in relief. It was Raphael wrapping his wound. The pain was gone. Tobiah asked why Raphael hadn't helped him sooner. The angel just smiled. If you could not overcome an earthly beast, you have no chance against an otherworldly one. Now gut the animal. We need the gallbladder to cure your father's blindness, and the liver and heart must be burned on your wedding night. Raphael tossed Tobiah's knife to him and pointed to the dead crocodile. Tobiah had heard of many things that happen on one's wedding night, but none required an animal's innards. But perhaps he was more ignorant than he thought. Tobiah shook his head. No, this was getting out of hand. After nearly dying in the crocodile's jaws, the idea of fighting this so-called great evil was sounding less and less appealing. Even with wealth and a wild wedding night thrown into the deal, Tobiah turned to Raphael, his voice firm. If you're counting on my greed, think again. Money is nice, but not at this cost. I don't need money or a wife to care for my father. Raphael shrugged. What you lack in greed, you make up for in cowardice. Perhaps your father won't mind dying without a shekel to his name. But know this, he wants you to be married and happy even more than he wants the money. Tobiah sighed. He'd already sacrificed so much for his father. Now wasn't the time to act selfish. He pulled out his knife and went to work gutting the crocodile. Later that night, as the moon glowed high in the sky, Raphael guided Tobiah into Escabatana, right to Sarah's home. Then he told him to knock. Tobiah stammered, What do I say? Are they even going to believe me? But once again, Raphael disappeared. Tobiah sighed. Then he knocked. Sarah's father, Raguel, opened the door and gasped. Praise be! Why, you are the spitting image of Tobit of Nineveh! You must be his son! Tobiah nodded. I am Tobiah, and I am here to marry Sarah, if she'll have me. Tears streamed down Raguel's face. He wrapped his arms around Tobiah and cried, I knew Tobit wouldn't fail me. My line will live on. You are a godsend. Still wrapped up in the old man's embrace, Tobiah spotted someone over Raguel's shoulder, a woman. She walked up behind Raguel, and Tobiah's jaw fell open. Not at her beauty or grace, 
but at her sad, lifeless eyes. This poor soul had seen things. Raguel pushed Tobiah toward her. Sarah, dear, this is Tobiah. He came asking for your hand. Sarah nodded, a half-hearted smile barely denting the worry on her face. Tobiah's heart fluttered with nerves. Either he wasn't the suitor she wanted and his father's fortune was lost, or Sarah knew that something terrible was about to happen. Raguel wasted no time. By nightfall, Sarah and Tobiah were married in his garden. Afterward, Sarah guided Tobiah from the wedding party to the living quarters. But then, Tobiah caught sight of something in the distance. It was a servant digging in the moonlight. He strained his eyes to see. It looked like a graveyard with seven other markers. He pointed it out to Sarah. Is that man digging a grave? Sarah's hands trembled. She couldn't look him in the eye as she spoke. Tobiah, there's something you must know. Seven other suitors have come before you. None survived our wedding night. My father isn't sure you will either. But the angel Raphael told me you'd save me from my pursuer, the demon Asmodeus. Raphael's words from the river suddenly made sense. If the crocodile was his earthly foe, Asmodeus must be the otherworldly one. Tobiah felt duped and scared. He'd heard of Asmodeus, but battling the king of demons was not what he had bargained for. Panic shot through Tobiah's body. But what if I can't do it? Sarah looked over to the gravedigger and said plainly, Then at least a grave will be ready when I put an end to my suffering. Tobiah wanted to flee, but when he looked at Sarah with her sad brown eyes, he realized he couldn't. He was her last hope. If he left, she would die. But he didn't exactly feel prepared to stay, either. Tobiah checked his pack. He had his knife and the crocodile's liver and heart, though he had no idea what to do with them. Nevertheless, they would have to do. Sarah and Tobiah approached the entrance of the dark house. But before she could guide him inside, he stopped her. Tobiah swallowed his fear and gave Sarah his best attempt at a smile. No, you wait here. I have a demon to slay. Then he walked into the house. The halls were empty and the door to Sarah's room was open. Tobiah could hear a fire crackle within, but no light escaped the room. Tobiah approached the door, then stepped inside. The darkness was thick, unnatural, like the air was made of oil. Then from the corner of the room, something laughed. A chill shot down Tobiah's spine. Two red eyes glowed in the darkness, and a deep, rumbling voice called out, You're the one Raphael has sent to die? The coward! You are nothing but a boy! 
Tobiah didn't disagree. Sweat poured from his forehead as he reached for his knife. Just then, the blackness took shape and two leathery hands shot out to grip his neck and squeezed. Tobiah couldn't breathe. It felt like a stone was crushing his throat. He whipped out his knife and stabbed at the demon's arm, but the blade shattered upon impact. The demon laughed and gripped Tobiah's throat tighter, his flaming red eyes inching closer to Tobiah's face. He growled, I am Asmodeus, king of demons, and nothing will stand between me and my beloved. Asmodeus flew up to the ceiling, pulling Tobiah with him. Then he tossed the young man to the floor and pounced. He strangled Tobiah again and closed his dark, demonic wings around Tobiah's body. In the dark, all Tobiah could see were the glowing coals in the hearth. Asmodeus cackled, You will die like the others, for my heart burns with hellfire for Sarah. Tobiah's dying, delirious mind sparked. He squinted at the fire and thought, a burning heart, the crocodile's organs. He didn't know if this was their purpose, but he was running out of options. Tobiah used the last of his strength to yank the pack from his waist and throw it into the fire. It burst into flames. As the crocodile liver and heart burned, the room filled with foul-smelling smoke. Asmodeus wailed. He let go of Tobiah's neck and flapped his mighty wings, trying to disperse the smoke, but it only grew thicker. <laughs> Tobiah gasped for air as Asmodeus shrank. Soon, all that was left was a wiry, gray-skinned man with red eyes and a pair of bony chicken's feet. Choking on smoke, the demon sprang from the window and skittered out into the desert. Tobiah jumped after Asmodeus and chased him all the way to the graveyard. Tobiah tackled him in the dirt and Asmodeus wriggled under him, helpless. The king of demons was drained of all his strength, and Tobiah seized the opportunity. He grabbed the gravedigger's shovel and beat him mercilessly. Then Tobiah rolled him into the open grave and started burying the demon alive. As his hideous visage was covered in dirt, as Medeus rasped, you fool! No one will ever love Sarah like I do. Tobiah nodded. You're right, and that's a good thing. Sarah and Reguel rushed through the courtyard, astonished. Reguel praised God and promised Tobiah his fortune. Sarah kissed him and declared that the wedding party would last two more weeks in celebration. But Tobiah refused. He had to return to Nineveh to make sure Raphael had cured his father's blindness. He'd been gone a long time, he explained. His father needed him. Sarah thought for a moment, then shrugged. 
Well, a honeymoon in Nineveh sounds better than a honeymoon in the underworld. Tobiah beamed. The pair set off, happy and carefree. The evil cloud that hung over Sarah had finally been driven away. Tobiah had saved two families and defeated Asmodeus. All it took was a crocodile's guts. And his own, of course. The story of Sarah and Tobiah's battle against Asmodeus comes from the book of Tobit. Likely written in the 2nd century BCE, the tale is about desperate people at the end of their rope. A son who sacrifices everything for his blind and penniless father, and an innocent woman tormented by the lust and violence of others. They are the perfect victims for Asmodeus, who preys upon human weaknesses like rage, fear, and cowardice. But though Asmodeus may be a demon, he has very recognizable flaws. His fixation on Sarah is toxic and abusive. But the scariest thing about him is that his failings aren't merely demonic, they're quite human as well. In biblical lore, Asmodeus is portrayed as greedy, envious, and wrathful, just like his victims. Fitting for a monster who was said by some to be half-mortal. Our obsessions can consume us, tempting us to obey our inner demons and torment those we love. But we only become inhuman when we give in to those urges. Tobiah and Sarah resist succumbing to darkness and are rewarded in the end when they show selflessness and courage. It's a reminder that if we fight our worst demons, we may yet see redemption. But if we give in to them, there may be grave consequences. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 